Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on November the 20th of 2019. I am Nick. This is Chris. We have so much manga to talk about today. How you doing, Damn man? Damn straight. We're going to talk about manga. So much of it. Nick, there's no time for tangents with this much manga to talk about. It's as, it's as jam-packed as Pokemon. What, what Pokemon, do you say? Let's talk about the new yeah, Pokemon, Pokemon game. Okay, so, <laughs> so I have played absolutely none of it. I haven't played a Pokemon game in years. So. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go to my old standby of Gen 4, I think was the last one. Did you play Gen 5? Uh, I, I played Gen 5 and I didn't like it. Oh. So There you go. It was... It was definitely was, I mean, you know, because in recent years, they've like, I'll give Pokemon credit that, you know, they have kind of changed with the times in terms of like, uh, not everything has to play exactly the same as it was back in the day, but it was not a fit for me. So I, I just give up. So that's very fair. Thank you for uh, agreeing with me, phone. <laughs> Phone's like, I could never play a Pokemon game, so fuck them off. Hey, there are plenty of Korean mobile games that <laughs> do their very best to just mimic the Pokemon experience, but with microtransactions. So sometimes your Pokeballs will break, but if you pay a dollar, you can keep it together for a little bit longer. Guaranteed always. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the new form of holding AB down is just like you pay a dollar. <laughs> oh, pay a dollar, you guarantee that catch. Otherwise, you're risking it. You never know. I, know. I, I mean, that, that, only... that is very close to a couple different <laughs> mechanics and a couple gotcha games I know of. So. <laughs> it really is. Pay in order to get the much better chance of getting the thing you want. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. Anyways, we got a lot of manga to talk about. So we should talk about yes. that. So first off, we're kicking things off with a recommendation. Uh, Chris, you said that you had read this back in the day I, when I, it was I actually had, like new. I had checked this out. So it is very notable to stress that the way this series gained sort of infamy or notoriety or whatever you want to say. Uh, was not because it was uh, Kishimoto's little brother doing it. Not because it was. Which it wasn't, by the way. Wasn't it? Was it's not, is this not the O parts on a guy? Huh. Nope. Well, then the only thing. Different guy. Then the only thing that this series had going for it was that it felt a hundred percent like someone read uh, a fairy tale and was like, "All right, just do that. <laughs> this is popular. Let's just be fairy tale." Now, in fairness, it is not just a fairy tale knockoff. It is more just like an embodiment of what was popular in the late 2000s in shonen manga. Like, it, this is very much if you went to someone who was very passionate about a certain type of manga at a certain time then this is what they would crank out as their first project. Yes. It would and it would not be a surprise. Uh, and I'm not going to say that it is um, like, oh, it was specifically ripping one thing off. If you are in the mindset of, OK, I've read a lot of fairy tale uh, and then you start reading this, then you're probably going to think that it's a fairy tale yes. ripoff. But if you read a lot of Naruto and you're thinking about that as you're reading this, you're going to be like, this is kind of a Naruto ripoff, too. Uh, but I think it's just a matter of like, yeah, keep in mind that this first started in 2008. What was popular in 2008 in terms of manga? And keep that in your mind and then see how it turned out. And you won't really be surprised. 
I do think that there is a lot of uh, influence from Mashima Hero uh, in this series specifically uh, over some of the other influences. Uh, the art style is very reminiscent of his. Uh, and as some people in the chat are pointing out, um, the guy who wrote this ended up going on to do one of the fairy tale spinoffs, which is still ongoing. So I think that, you know, when I, whenever that uh, that hero series uh, comes out, you know, the one that is going to cross over all of all of all of hero series, this this should get a little bit of a nod in there. Uh, get this have a little bit of a Buster Keel cameo. <laughs> oh yeah, like it's 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 an assist trophy essentially. Yeah, and then, exactly. And the Buster Keel theme song plays, and everyone loses their mind for a moment. They're like, "Oh my god, they got it in there!" And there's got to be one guy in the corner like Buster Keel never got an anime. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell that man to leave my party. He is no longer welcome. Uh, there's not like so you kind of summed it up pretty quickly where the best way to describe this series is if you had gone up to a 15-year-old kid who's really into manga and said, hey, uh, sight unseen, we're giving you a running publication in our in our series, uh, or a running series in our publication. Uh, this is probably pretty similar to kind of what they turn out. It's just, it was very much a sort of, ground level expectation of what you would expect in battle shonen series around that time and that's really all there is to say for the most part there isn't like a ton of depth or interest to the mechanics of the world or into the characters or into the art or really anything that's super noteworthy it's kind of almost mm. like I don't know, it's like the hoodies and the hoodie and the blowfish of, of manga, where you're like, I mean, it's there, it's okay. I just don't know what to really say on it, other than the fact that, like, once you kind of get through the first couple chapters and you kind of laugh at it, sometimes you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, or oh, that, that design was a little unique, but for the most part, you're kind of just like, yeah, I mean, of course the fucking dude who's the cool loner eventually joins the group, and of course he's yeah. got the hidden secret that he's got to keep around, you know? Mm-hmm. There are there are a couple of bits here and there. They're like, all right, that's kind of different. Um, but there's not a whole lot. All right, let me put it this way. So um, to go through a very brief introduction of, of the important cast, Keel's your main character. He's a shonen hero. Uh, the He's, you know, selfish, hot-headed, gluttonous. Um, then the female lead is uh it's what lavi Ra- so lavi something like that. robbie lavi whatever just so, call her not uh what felt fe- not lucy uh, something like that she's there uh her thing is that she's a bard basically she uh plays music that uh, powers up monsters because this is a fantasy series with magic uh and I would call it swords and sorcerer, but there's not actually a whole lot of like knights. No, it's very, very. I mean, if you are in the mindset of it's a fairy tale ripoff, it's gonna be very much kind of that. That you know, you go on adventures with the fantasy group. That's not a fairy tale ripoff. That is a fantasy adventure setting. You know, uh, and then uh, Lavi's got this monster partner who was like a flying pig called Mippy, which. 
that was around the point where I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to see like the fairy tale knockoff parts of this because like the first three characters that we meet are a very ob- they are a hot headed guy who punches things, a girl who fights alongside monsters that she summons, and a cute animal mascot guy whose name sounds a lot like Happy, you know. Hmm. But whatever. Um, and then shortly a few chapters in they're joined by the, you know, cold loner rival character whose name also happens to be a monosyllabic color. So instead of gray, he's blue (laughs) and he's got water powers instead of ice powers. And it's like, you know, (laughs) I know you've read fairy tale, dude. It's, it's, you know, but whatever. So that's their inventory group. And they are looking after this one guy who can remove a curse on, uh, on, on keel because it turns out that keel is not actually a human. He is actually a dragon ape, this like scaled giant ape thing, uh, who has been sealed into the form of a human. So that's a little bit of a different approach to the series. Instead of, you know, there being a guy with a monster sealed inside of him, he actually is the monster and he wants to be returned to his original form. Uh, and so he works together with uh, Ravi because her powers allow her to power up monsters. And so she actually allows him to put his arm back into his original form and he fights that way. That's an interesting gimmick. But here's the real issue with this series. Uh, it doesn't really stand out because any original idea that it has that could be interesting or unique isn't really pushed as far as it should be. Uh, there is an idea that when you hear it, it's like, oh, that could be cool. And then nothing is really done with it that capitalizes on that potential that could set it apart. Mm -hmm. So there's a thing with Keel and he's just, you know, he's still a guy. He, there is a thing where he looks down on people like Ravi who fight using monsters because you think it's, he says at first that, oh, you're a coward. You don't fight for yourself. But it turns out it's because he thinks that they enslave monsters. And also one such person is the, is responsible for sealing him. Um, but other than that, he just acts like a general, you know, hot headed shonen protagonist jerk. He doesn't act like a guy who used to be a huge monster. Uh, and is now trapped in this form. There's like, uh, and that, that's kind of just a recurring thing that happens in the series. Any idea you you look at on the surface or you hear the idea, you think, oh, that could be cool. And then it's just kind of there. Uh, they encounter a monster pretty early on who has uh, eyes. He has an eye for a mouth and mouths for eyes. And so when I, when I sort of saw that, I was like, oh, that could be cool. But then I was like, looking at the panels i'm like well but his eyes just have teeth and his mouth is just an eye they're not drawn the way that eyes and mouths would be they still his overall facial expression just looks like a face with like palette swaps mm. and it's and that and that's it you know it's like you you have an opportunity to take this concept and really do something weird and different and it's just kind of the most basic presentation of it instead. And that's the, the real issue with the series. I mean, it's not bad. It's just entirely forgettable because it is so of the time and doesn't really do anything unique or different. The only thing I'll disagree on is in not saying it's bad because I do think it's bad. It's just bad in the right kind of ways. Uh, where you just, you see a scene and you'll see two characters interact 
And it's just the dumbest kind of interactions these characters can constantly have. Like, there's an ongoing fight for a couple chapters where Keel just keeps calling Ravi ugly. And, yeah. and she's, she gets really, and she does like the classic anime female character, like, blah, 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 how can you say that? Bonk, bonk, bonk. And I'm, you know, ugly pig, ugly, yeah. ugly. And you're like, it goes on forever. And you're like, I'm, I'm almost kind of like, look, you have to understand if you're, if you're listening to this episode out of order, we've, we've come off of like a sequence of reading manga that are bad because it involves like questionable material or just like really soul breaking kind of experiences. It's nice to read something. You're just like, Oh, this dude just couldn't write. Like <laughs> I can enjoy this so much more on that level. Because even though it has those, as you mentioned, there are, there are points where you see flashes of something good. And I don't want to like say like, oh, well, there's no redeeming the series. I think it's just kind of a place where there's lows and then there's occasional dips up that are not high enough to call highs. But like, I don't know, they're ups, I guess. And you can kind of enjoy it for that regard. Like, so we, we did the Bleach... Um, Gene Simmons, kid who did the the rip off of Bleach, right, I feel right. like if he hadn't ripped off Bleach and he had gone with he an original idea, this is would have been what he came up with because it's just it's it's right what you would kind of do. I wrote stories like this when I was fifteen, like sure, I, like I I know what this level is, and it's it's not like I'm saying like you should never put this out or anything like that. It's just no because that allows you to gain experience yeah. and grow. You know, it's just one of those things that like. It's enjoyable. There's there's still something endearing about it when you see like someone start at this level and you're like, oh, well, I've read series that did these sorts of things. So I, I read so many series where the boy and girl main characters argue a whole lot about things. So I'm going to make sure mm. I include that in mind. There's going to be a quiet loner. and He's really cool. And I'm going to do that. Like there's just things like that, that you kind of enjoy, too. There are a couple of point parts of the series that maybe just go like, what the hell was that? However, mm-hmm. um, so there is an early short story arc where uh, in order to get a lead, uh, they head into town and they happen to stumble across this old man and they take pity on the old man and, and give him a meal. And uh, he's like, I'll repay you because I'm a great information broker. And they're like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah. And no, and everyone's like, hi, that guy's, you know, he's crazy. He doesn't know anything. And then the guy's like, I will show you my pride of being an information broker. It's like, all right, your pride at being what? <laughs> it's just one of those just shown in things where, you know, someone is going to achieve their dream kind of thing. It's and it's. A thing you see happen in a lot of shonen series where someone is just proud to live their life. But I'm very proud about the fact that I trade information for food. (laughs) It's such a weird statement to make. And he does have kind of a cool resolution is because like he tells him about this treasure that's under uh, underwater. And then when then when they get the treasure, it's just a bunch of rice. And they're like, what the hell was this? And he's like, well, if I told you what the treasure was, you probably wouldn't have done this for me. And then he holds up and each single grain of rice has uh, a long uh, note of information on it. 
And he's like, I haven't been able to remember all the thing, all the information that I've gathered. So I hid it away and it was you know, swallowed by this monster. So now you've gotten it back for me and now I can give you a useful information. So it's a cool little thing there. That's probably honestly the highlight of the entire series. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I had forgotten about till you brought it up. And then when you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of like so it's a very dumb explanation because it's sort of like. We- I can't remember anything. <laughs> what a great information broker I am. <laughs> He's like, oh, I just found out that the mayor's having an affair. I'll make, oh, I don't have a piece of rice and a small chisel on me. I'm sure I'll remember until I get home. <laughs> like, it's a very silly way hey, to. Grams, why don't you just, like, you know, write it down on a piece of paper? I can't write! <laughs> How did. But you've got. You, you were able to write it down really tiny on, like, grains of rice? Yes! Yes, I, you know, I, I'm... It's so much easier than pen and paper. <laughs> you can store like 700 grains of rice in your pocket for the same space as like two pens. Okay, well, why don't you just write it down until you get some rice? Like, all right, I'll try. He like tries to write it down and like slips and goes into his forehead. <laughs> this happens every time. Give me a needle and a, good, and a bit of rice, though. <laughs> and again, I like I, I enjoyed that part of it because it's it's a very dumb setup, but it's earnestly handled in a kind of creative situation like solution to a dumb problem that was created like this Pretty information much. broker can't help us because he apparently doesn't know his information but he's an endearing old man and everyone else just laughs at him and his his you know big boisterous claims so we're going to try to help him and in the end we're rewarded for seeing sort of like the wisdom behind this otherwise sad old man but like you, you get to it, and you're just like, my dude had a, a fucking treasure chest full of grains of rice. <laughs> you're like, really, anybody could be the fucking <laughs> the information broker if they got your rice. <laughs> Pretty much, because like he doesn't appear to have any a bit. We never see him like gather information. No. So, <laughs> all right. So the other bits of weirdness, um. That stood out to me. So you know how some characters uh, in like, you know, action shows or manga even uh, have like a, a sign off victory thing that they do. Mm-hmm. So like in Food Wars, Soma has, you know, a happy to serve when he whips his headband off. If you watch the Yu-Gi-Oh! GX dub, then Judai goes gotcha whenever he wins a duel. So this the, our heroes in. Buster Keel have uh, those little fight ending uh, signature lines as well. Uh, Keel says funky. (laughs) It's a very funky thing. And Blue, who is to give you a bit of background, like I mentioned, he's like the Sasuke character. So his entire people, his entire people were butchered. And genocided by this guy that he is seeking out so they can kill and get vengeance on. His own mother died so that he could get away and live uh, fighting this guy. Uh, he is very serious all the time uh, about everything, except whenever he's fighting with Keel, then he gets really childish and whatever. So uh, he says this even when he takes on his, you know, he removes his human disguise and reveals himself to be a water demon guy. And it's really serious. It goes all out. Whenever you defeat someone, he goes, bingo. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> He's very cool. <laughs> He's not cool in the slightest. <laughs> it, 
it's exactly the level that when you're 16, you think a character is cool. Though you're like, they don't talk a lot, and they just have like a cool phrase. It sounds dorky, but they say it's so cool, it doesn't matter. So after you just cut off the head of the man who murdered your fan, you're like, bingo. <laughs> so. I mean, you keep talking about how, like, oh, you know, when you're a kid writing stuff, it's like, this was a professionally published manga. I don't want to get away from that point. So, hey, uh, the, the mangaka has, you know, continued on to have to write other series, uh, seemingly has achieved his dream of writing just a fairy tale series. So, whatever. Um, can't really say anything to recommend it um, if you would like. But I will say this. If anyone ever asks you, what was manga like in 2010? Just, just, just give this to them. And this is like, this is a quick, you know, like everything condensed down into one thing, you know? Yep. That's all. All right. Let's move on then to just the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap. We have a lot of chapters to discuss this week, so let's just get into it. My Hero Academia, Chapter 250, continuing the storyline that everyone loves, Endeavor's Family Troubles. This is going to resolve in a way that everyone likes, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> there was the odd moment where um, Natsu had left, right, in the last chapter. He stormed out of dinner, and then Bakugo spotted him while after they were cleaning up dinner outside. Well, it turns out he left again after that. <laughs> well, that was him heading out. He was done eavesdropping on the conversation. I guess he, he leaving, yeah. Leaving. I guess he didn't leave the building uh, in the last chapter, but now he is. But as he does so, and we get our chapter title ending, we see narration from someone who is uh, wearing a striped black and white uh, outfit, like they're like they're wearing a prison uniform, and. Uh, the person narrating says, my first impression of you was that you were a fierce solar flare. Do you remember Endeavor? I was full of despair and you just captured a thief named Takami when I saw you. Ever since that day, I aspired to be all that you are. But seven years ago, I lost it and you caught me. The only choice we all enjoy equally is how to close the current in our lives. And when I was finally released, what do you think was the first thing I did? Before even eating a meal, I did some research on you. And we see the guy looming around the corner as uh, Natsu comes outside and uh, gets on his phone. I guess he's getting an Uber. You know, it was a very humanizing uh, thing in, in the world of My Hero Academia. He's just a guy. He's like, ah, I left earlier than I planned to. I guess I better just wait around awkwardly for my uh, ride share to get here. I would have loved it if, like, because he's just like, before I even had a meal, I did research on you. It's like him at the public library. The guy walks by like, free! steaks free filet mignons and it's him like oh I come on no, no faster facebook i'm so hungry he's just like waiting for like encarta 97 or something like that to pull up <laughs> why haven't they updated this stuff <laughs> loaded baked potato in the library loaded baked potato bar disappearing in 13 seconds <laughs> update your technology instead of your buffet lines <laughs> So we cut back over to Fiumi's place. We're having a conversation. Uh, just all of the people except Endeavor who are still there. And uh, so she tells them about how Natsu and Toya had a close relationship. 
but shortly after uh, mom went away, her condition somehow got even worse to the point that Shoto couldn't even visit her. Uh, mentions that as well. And this is the awkward part of this chapter. So I was actually having a conversation with some of the guys uh, in our uh, Discord server. Join that. And uh, we all agreed, don't like this. See, Fuyumi says that, yeah, you know, mom's condition got even worse. Uh, Shoto wasn't allowed to visit her, but she's overcome all that. And Shoto's visiting her now. And our family is looking toward the future more and more. Only Natsu can't seem to let go. He believes that father killed Toya. So that's the problem, Chris. If only Toya would let bygones be bygones, they could all be one big happy family together. I want to repeat the sentiment I shared with everyone last week. If someone wrongs you horribly, even if they apologize and try to make amends, you do not owe them forgiveness. And it is really messed up of Fiumi to try and say, oh, it's not his fault now that we can't be a happy family together because now everyone's trying. Endeavor was the one who broke it. It's not Natsu's fault if things aren't coming back together. It's really gross to have that attitude. And it is why abuse sometimes is allowed to flourish is because of peer pressure from other people to not rock the boat and make sure that the guilty parties, the actual guilty parties, receive their justice. So it's bad. Endeavor leaves with uh, his students, so to speak, in tow. I do like how Deku is very, you know, bows deeply and is really grateful to Fumi for letting them eat together. And Baku is like, give me the Mapo Tofu recipe so that he can enjoy the Mapo Tofu I, without I, ever yeah, having I was going to say, I hope he is like follow ups. Like, so some of us can eat it in peace when they decide <laughs> to have it. Every time he makes the Mapo Tofu, all of the Todorokis show up at his, his door. No! Get out of here! Go away! <laughs> I just start having family drama. No! <laughs> They're like, Fuyumi, did you leave the toilet seat up the other day? She's like, I don't even know how that would practically lead to a conversation. <laughs> Why would I do that? But here we go! Big family drama! <laughs> it's all your fault, Natsu! <laughs> so, uh, but Endeavor parts while saying, hey, Fuyumi, thanks. And Fuyumi also takes Deku's hand and says, hey, thank you for being Shoto's friend. So that's that's nice. Bakugo's just like, let's go. Um, they all drive off. We get to meet Endeavor's personal driver, who has a weird mustache and hairstyle. He also but he's very enthusiastic. is always screaming, it seems. Always screaming. His, his default expression is uh, <laughs> mouth open, teeth bared, white knuckling the steering wheel. <laughs> Eyes bulging. He's got both hands on it. <laughs> like, my dude's in a fucking place. Like, I hope that's his quirk, and he's he's got everything together. Uh, and uh, he doesn't like Bakugo's attitude, uh, because Bakugo's complaining about how the car is really small. I guess he feels really uncomfortable because he's sticking his head out of the window like a dog uh, while complaining about it. And the driver is like, why are you complaining about being chauffeured around? Endeavor, why are you letting slackers ride around with you? And Endeavor's like, well, I'm doing it because, you know, I'm at the top now and I've got responsibilities. And the driver's like, pa! And literally everyone just goes, what does pa mean? <laughs> oh, no, he was having a small stroke, everybody. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so what you don't see is him actually just going, pa! 
<laughs> and and straight, straight off the side of the road. Everything else that happens in My Hero is a dog stream. They all the main characters died back in chapter two fifty. <laughs> but they spot a figure in the middle of the road. Oh my gosh! It's the guy in the striped prison shirt, kind of, uh, who has captured Natsumi. Natsu, just, just Natsumi's a girl's name. Natsu. He's captured Natsu Drag Deal. And he's got them all wound up in like what looks like bandages. And uh, so uh, the driver swerves around the guy and uh, Endeavor flies out of the seat, demands that it's not to be released. And uh, the guy in the prison sort of outfit says, oh, do you remember me? And Endeavor does indeed remember him. And he's like, yes, I'm tickled pink that you remember me. That's right. I'm ending. Okay. Uh, I get it. And so he says, you know, uh, you have you have to understand no matter what I did, you always had so much that I could never attain. And I looked up to you, but I never had anything to protect. I'm going to kill this kid. So do the job right this time. You got to kill me. So this guy's a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you were saying all of these points, you know, if he had like a calm expression on his face, I'd uh, be like, OK, well, maybe this guy's just got a lot of conviction, but he's got like. Blood vessels popping in his eyes. Not a single post he strikes can be considered casual or normal. And he's drooling. So uh, clearly he is disturbed. How did he get out of prison so quickly? He says he was released. But uh, maybe he's just really good at faking it. Uh, But I don't know if I that. I was going to say, I hope that his parole interview was him looking exactly like this. Except he clearly had like a pin on tie. And it was was just them like... (laughs) What's the first thing you think you're going to do before you when you get it? He's like, well, before before I eat anything, I'm going to find out about the Todoroki family. And then I'm going to find out what Endeavor's weakness is and take advantage of it so that I can force him to kill me. All right. Well, nothing he said there sounded like a crime. <laughs> like, what about the the kidnapping and the, the forcing the murder thing? Eh, there's no rule in the- there's no law in the rule book. Right, right from Airbud. <laughs> says you can't make a superhero kill yourself to prove a point. So, you know, play ball. So, this is odd. I'm not really sure where this is going exactly. I know it's an excuse for Endeavor to potentially save Natsu. If that is the case, I hope that he does it. And then Natsu's like, this doesn't change anything. You still messed up our family. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess we'll see where it goes. This really came out of nowhere, uh, and I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, this is an odd chapter, uh, and it's, it's especially odd if the star of the next chapter isn't just Bakugo, Deku, and Todoroki just fucking wasting this guy. Because it's odd when you create the premise of this entire arc is like, you got to be faster than me. And the first thing Endeavor does when he gets into a fight is stop and listen to the villain. (laughs) You're like, all right. Chapter 251 opens up with the guy tied up and Deku, Bakugo, and Todoroki Silver is kicking. I was like, I mean, it feels like the. I understand the notion like he has a hostage. He can't attack him. But it, it feels weird when that's been like. The gimmick to this arc is like, you got to be faster than me. That's the only way I'll prove you over the summer and everything like that. Like, that's your mission. And the first thing Endeavor does when he encounters like a villain in this situation is he's like, all right, I'll hear what you have to say. (laughs) Well, maybe you can be reasoned with. (laughs) He's like, all right, lay it on me. 
All right. Uh, I can tell by the saliva that is fluttering out of your mouth that you, you're a man who can listen to logic and sound arguments. I want to hear what's in your head. I want to see where you're coming from. <laughs> They're all just like, Endeavor, you've got to save your son. Hold on. No, no, no. no That's no, not the way we make nah. uh, we make progress in this country. Sometimes you listen to them. <laughs> you literally fly around on jets of fire, punching evil in the face as soon as you spot it. <laughs> Yes, yes, but what does he have to say? <laughs> Oftentimes, <laughs> it's the sickest in our communities who are ignored. So let's not throw a milkshake on him. Let's uh, let's listen to what he has to say. Not challenge. All right, let's talk about Eden Zero, Nick. Two chapters of Eden Zero. Yes. For some reason, uh, starting with chapter. It's seven. because it's Mashiro Hero. He's got to be like, I've got to do more. Yeah, he finished up. The, the first chapter here and then he had like two days left in the week and he's like I bet I can knock out another one and that'll come up when I discuss these chapters Hero says that you had to do one. color page Hero says you had to do color pages too I know <laughs> I, I like to think that he's the one X-Men and his power is just to vomit like manga at times like he's just like it's just like fully fledged out page comes out and he's like alright cool I got time for another one this week See, that's why there are so many boob and ass shots and all and the fetish stuff is that he can't control actually what comes out when he does that. He's just going to like, all right, well, there's a really, really sexy looking picture here. So I guess I better just turn it into a fetish shot. All right. What's going to be, I guess. All right. So first chapter is chapter 70. Belly old goer. So we open with Rebecca being really upset because the boys and Hamora going to dress angrily left without her. So we get like a montage of the different electronic stuff she puts on as she gets closed on and is like, I'll fight too. And uh, I do like seeing like the little uh, accessories getting put on. So we see a little bit of the tech, uh, you know, like so she's got, you know, the scrunchies and this and the uh, sandal straps just kind of put themselves on. But of course, we've got to have a shot of her. Like, let me just slowly put this shirt over my over my boobs. And then, geez, there's a lot of boobs still coming it, out of there. But it's also the fun of her, like the end point is her being like, "I can fight too," and I'm like, "Obviously, by the effort that you just put on high heels and like a tube top, I can see you're clearly ready for combat oh. right now. <laughs> You've gotten your your combat attire ready." Uh, so she. And just leave without taking any guns or something like that. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, I forgot my guns. <laughs> Silly me. Uh, so we we arrive on this. Just use your ether gear. Oh, I forgot to bring my feet. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Actually, with these these high heels as tight as they are, it cuts off all the ether gear flow. <laughs> They're like, just take the shoes off. She's like, what? Make my ass not look as good? Uh-uh. You're not tricking me on this one, Satan. So <laughs> the the gang sneaks onto the burial goer. Uh, and Hermit is basically sort of like their point of contact in between, and they reveal that the ship is not just a ship, it is an entire city. In fact, it was basically as large as a sector, so it's it's a very impressively sized place. So consider this a planet, more like, or less. It was basically part of a planet before, and now it, they, a part of it just floats, of that planet just floats around in space, mm-hmm. so... So they mentioned, like, hey, Dracojo's the highest authority. He's called the Dark Arc Alchemist. He's the biggest big shot in the whole cosmos for the underworld. Uh, and Weiss asks, like, hey, um, these earrings can't be tracked, right? And they're like, no, they're made from lacrima, so no one will be able to overhear us. 
the gang goes about having fun. Everyone's doing their crazy stuff because this is like a sort of like a fun nightlife planet. So we see that uh, Shiki is playing with punching bag machines. Uh, Weiss is you in a big high stakes poker game. Hamora is getting hit on by weirdos. Everyone's in their element. Poor Hamora. <laughs> Uh, they go to a strip club for a moment. Well, I mean, like, I mean, as soon as they, as soon as they came up to come up to her, though, she'll be like, uh, you know, I will not say, I will not tell them that I that I imagine all men who do this kind of behavior are compensating for having very tiny penises, as that would hurt their feelings, and then just immediately leave her alone. Yeah. That would be how one way of the situation going, but we don't see that, unfortunately. Instead, we we have a strip club scene. They cut away, and everyone's kind of just like, "Wow, what a fun!" At least, if is. you're, at least. When they show the pole dancers, it actually looks like impressive pole dancing. Because you know what? If you were just going to indulge in having a pole dancing scene in order to just like have a girl like leaning over or something like that, it'd be like, what a waste of an opportunity. Why even bother having a pole dancing scene? You could have drawn one of 200 other ways of having a girl throw her boobs out. Yeah. But you know what? It actually looks like impressive pole dancing. Mm-hmm. That's why they're impressed, I bet. It's not because they're perverts. Yeah. So why is Amora pointing at a door? Because uh, they tell them we have to leave. It's it's an exit, I think. It's, okay. It's Pino and Hamora saying like we're not we're not getting anything from here. So they mentioned mm-hmm. like, hey, why we got to figure out why they're doing this? You know, we got to find somebody to help us out here. And the someone recognizes Wise, and we see who it is, and it is Sabir, the villain from the first arc of the series. But he's old. He's so old, even his tiny bird that rode on his shoulders is very old and, like, kind of has a beard as well. Why is he dead? (laughs) It's a very long-lasting bird. Uh, So Pino is immediately afraid, because this was the guy that tortured her and did all those very awful things. Uh, I'm better now! (laughs) This person's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And to cut a long situation short, this is the severe from the version of Weiss or the version of Norma that escaped the chronophage. Basically he's, he's sort of the opposite. He's, he's the same as the Weiss that Rebecca originally met. So he's not the one that we met who did all the things to Pino and everything like that. This is the other Sabir. same way. The Weiss that's here is the other Weiss, but not the same timeline. It gets very confusing. <laughs> so this don't think about it. Much. The Sabir basically says like, I'm, Really, I, I'm really sorry this happened. Like, I, I'm sorry you're so scared of me, robot. I don't know what I did. I was a really awful person in my past life. He kind of says it a lot nicer where he's like, I was, I caused a lot of trouble for people in my past life. And I guess it's like, I guess that one didn't also run like a super evil gang that tortured robots and shit like that. But, you know, whatever, different timelines. Uh, So that's the whole gist is everyone's like, oh, okay, so... Even though you don't know this robot, you can still feel empathy for the fact that a version of yourself did do all these awful things. And you do seem legitimately regretful that this situation happened. So uh, we also get a small hint that Weiss actually has some measure of respect for Sabir, that this Sabir actually kind of helped him out. So maybe there's more to that story as well. Uh, Sabir reveals that he works at a bar. He's like, hey, come in whenever you need it. I'll be able to help you guys out. It seems like this might actually pay off in some way. But before we can get that, Draken Joe appears on the big hologram. He's like, did you think I wouldn't find you, you little rats from Eden Zero? And uh, I have spies all over the strip club. <laughs> all, every breast is a camera. <laughs> Shit, I was staring right at those, too. I know you're a weird pervert. 
If only hey. you were instead an ass man, I would have never spotted you. <laughs> That's where you can only get sound from an ass. No, no <laughs> audio visual. Uh, Hermit's like, what the fuck? I, I hacked the surveillance system. And then the ship rattles. So they're kind of knocked away as this video message plays. So everyone else on, uh, on, on burial go or whatever is just like who the fuck would fuck with dragon joe what a big dumb idiot but our hero's like holy shit what's <laughs> happening oh my god uh and we basically find out that they've cut off communication between the ship crew and the uh on foot crew and all of dragon joe's men have invaded the eden zero while they're basically left defenseless it's just rebecca on board at this point and that's how the chapter ends where you're like oh shit What's going to happen? The rest of the team isn't there. It felt yeah. somewhat. And it's these guys. Yeah, these guys who we've seen, you know, just how intimidating and scary and ruthless they are uh, when we've, you know, met Drac and Joe's crew before. Mm-hmm. So it, I thought this was a really great chapter. I thought this was a good way to bring that whole like time universe thing back into it. I thought it was really cool to bring Sabir back and to have this version seem legitimately regretful about what his alternate past ver- or alternate timeline version of himself did and just kind of fleshed out this world a little bit more and created like some really dramatic uh, stakes for the next chapter and i was as i was reading i was like okay the one person we kind of didn't see doing anything was the captain so i wonder if he'll play some role in how the group manages to get out of this let's find out nick as we discuss chapter Mm -hmm. 71 the steel sorceress so the group has uh drac and joe's people have invaded the ship uh which is trying to ask for permission to unlock battle dress. She's trying to contact Hamora because they need all of the four shining stars, I guess, to get permission for this. Uh, there's a bunch of drama. Dracon Joe's basically saying, Hey, don't try to get back to your ship because the lives of everyone in your crew kind of depends on you guys. I've taken them hostage and I'm going to kill them. If you make a scene and we see the group aboard the ship, we're like hostage. I thought we were just supposed to kill them. And, uh, I forget what her name was, but the stretcher goes like, yeah, we are. We're just going to tell them that we're going to take them as hostages, which is like how evil it seems. Uh, the Like the little fold there that because uh, Shiki's group has no idea what's going on there, they can just claim that this is what happened. So uh, the Eden Zero's uh, self-defense systems turn on. Uh, I think his name was. No, I guess it's Dragon Joe. I, f- I feel like we heard the skeleton guy's name, but I guess it doesn't matter. He shoots down everything. Uh, some tendrils come out. The big Frankenstein-looking guy kind of just snaps them, just breaks them easily. And th- nothing's stopping them. All the automated defenses are just being stopped. And uh, eventually, Witch shows up. And she's like, all right, I'll stop you guys. So skeleton guy shoots some, uh, shoots some bullets at her. She blocks her. And then she equips her battle dress, Assault Witch Online. And uh, the big Frankenstein guy shoots. It's a skittier piece of clothing. Yeah, I was like, I don't, honestly, her design is so unremarkable to me that I was like, I guess it's different. I really can't tell. Uh, The big robot guy tries to shoot something at her. She, like, makes a move and it sort of freezes him solid, says Ice Ether. And the stretchy girl is like, oh, witch. I get it and uh, makes a whole joke. She's like, ah, there's a demon king, a witch. What's next? You have a princess on board and Moscow grabs his face and blushes as sister says, don't you dare think about it. And I was like, what non time for a joke. Uh, 
as yeah. everything seems to be going bad for you guys for there to be a weird moment where sister yells at Moscow. <laughs> now, the weirdest moment probably of this chapter so far is as Rebecca looks on, she's like, that power witch is using, is that magic? And they're like, no, it's ether. It just acts like magic. And I was like, but in your world, ether is magic. I was like, I don't understand. Like, they make a big deal that they're like, witch has all these powers that she basically is like a magician. But it's not magic, it's ether. I was like, what the fuck's the difference? Look, she's a witch. Shut up. They're like, she can do all these different kinds of ether. And we see that as she changes elements so she gets you know air ether and moves really fast and then she uses lightning ether to shock everybody and she changes and then her she elements. uses her and then she takes her paintbrush and then she uses a different type of magic <laughs> i was just like i it feels weird that you tried to like explain these as something different but whatever her nickname is the steel sorceress and it looks like she's defeated all of Draco joe's people which is kind of yeah. surprising. These were the three characters that have been kind of set up as his like antagonist group. We've been seeing them for quite some time. So surely these are fakes or these are illusions or they're just going to get back up. And this really wasn't actually an effective attack. Uh, oh, wait, no. No. Nope. It seems as though they've been defeated. Uh, but Dracozo says, well, if that's it, then I'll just have to send in my special forces. The element four. To which point I aud- the true Aracianse. To which point I audibly shouted "fuck you" at the computer screen. <laughs> I was like, "This group sucked the first time you did them. Stop trying to make groups." Like he didn't even like have a thing where it, it seemed like defeating the first three guys was even an accomplishment because it happened so easily. So why even bother going to the extension or whatever? Just. It's so lame, and it's such a, a very stereotypical hero thing to do for him to pull this off. Like, this is the really scary villain group. Just it's not a. It could have sent someone. Else. It's not as though like you were like, wow, this first group kind of seems underwhelming and lame. Like everything we've seen them do seems super cool and awesome. So I don't know why it was abruptly like, all right, we'll get rid of them, and this group of the four, the elemental four. Which, again, he did in Fairy Tale, and that group sucked too. <laughs> so, I, I I don't know. This is a very strange reveal. The Only only the dude in the back kind of looks like he has any interesting design here, but we'll see what happens. This was like a real, like, tale of two chapters, where after the first was like, fuck yeah, you know? Every so often, Hero could surprise me with the quality of his writing, and the second chapter's like, nah, you know what? He does, what he, <laughs> he does pretty predictable shit, I guess. It's disappointing. All right, let's talk about Spy Family. Actual proper Spy Family Chapter 2. Are we at Boruto? Uh, mission. Um, we're going to do that after this one. Mission 16. Uh, so Lloyd is looking over Anya's grades. She's doing real bad. Like, you know, single digits in, in her grade uh, on her paper is bad. Uh, so he tries to get her attention and she's watching her spy TV show. And I love that he's like, hey, Anya, and she's just be, just be like, busy cartoons. <laughs> she's like a foot from the TV. Uh, and she, I think the, uh, the idea is that she's just, she knows what's going on and she's trying to get, get out of doing anything. Cause she doesn't look happy while she's watching the TV either. Uh, so Lloyd forces her to study because she's doing really bad in school. And so he's thinking about the mission and how she's got to 
uh, get into the Imperial Scholar Honor Society in order, and in order to do that, she's got to get Stella Stars. Uh, and the easiest way to do that is through exceptional academic performance. But she doesn't she's just not very good at that. So uh, but um, uh, your points out, oh, you know, Anya's math score isn't that bad. Uh, and <laughs> so Lloyd thinks to himself, is this because actually of the cartoon she's been watching? And apparently she's been actually picking up some terms from her spy show because she says two eights of ammunition. So apparently spies use math. Good to know. Uh, so she blames not herself for her bad grade, but for the fact that the kid whose mind she was reading and copying off of was also bad. So she's like, you know, from now on, I've got to figure out which of my classmates is good at which subject. And that way, when I cheat, I'll ace the test every time. She's like, got this evil expression. Like she's fucking light Yagami or something. (laughs) I'm going to cheat. (laughs) Um, and Lloyd thinks to himself that, hey, you know, I, I could just, you know, hack into the computer system and change her grazed A pluses, but I'd probably, you know, it's going to be a little bit too suspicious. So I need to make it as though she's actually improving. Uh, plus, unearned plaudits could engender resentment from her classmates, leading to social problems at school. So Anya's like, all right, so if I ace the test through mind reading, then that means my classmates could help me, too. So I guess I can't uh, just get through this the easy way. Uh, so Lloyd sees that Anya is struggling with her homework. And he's like, all right, well, there are other ways to earn Stella stars. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to be just good at just the academic subject. So we could try doing some other stuff like she could exceed in visual arts. It turns out she's really bad at drawing because she tries to draw a cow and it looks it's got spots and four legs close enough better than i would (laughs) uh and then he's like all right let's try out music let's try sports uncoordinated little kid so you know lloyd's trying to think to himself like it's okay she's only in first grade she can improve she need to pay more attention and discover what she excels in uh and he's just saying like i don't know what i'm gonna do but you know uh He's like, it takes a long time to plan a war, so I've still got time to do this. But then he also thinks that one of his contacts had said that uh, you know, the goal was to acquire the eight Stella within just four months. So he's not really sure if he can actually just wait for her to develop like this. But Ani actually looks up after she trips over a jump rope and says that she's going to work really hard. Um, so he has another idea because you can also earn Stella's one other way which is community service. So he takes her into a hospital to to help out and volunteer around the place. Unfortunately, Anya is a little klutz. uh, So every time that she tries to help with stuff, you know, she's breaking stuff. Uh, They take her into the library to tell you stuff up there. And she just goes over to the manga section and starts reading. And so like, maybe we could try doing something instead. She says she wants to be a nurse and hand stuff to surgeons instead very cute but it would probably end very badly uh so eventually the nurses there just get fed up with uh, with her and so they, they they're like you're excused from service so she apologizes to her on their way out um uh as they're walking down the hall they happen to pass by a boy who is walking on uh with a with a crutch and he's hobbling along and he's on his way to physical therapy and he goes into heads into the rehabilitation pool with his mother and so uh, as he makes his way around there and she and she leaves him there, 
He checks the temperature of the pool water with his hand and he ends up slipping and falling in. And uh, his mom or I'm not sure if it's his mom. It's probably actually a worker at the the hospital, I should say, uh, has taken uh, her eyes off of him. And now she doesn't know where he is. And he's not making a whole lot of noise as he's now sinking into the pool, drowning. But Anya can hear him mentally crying out for help. And so she looks around and realizes what's happening and uh, she's like, we, we've got to go. You know, so, you know she's uh, but she thinks to herself, if she just says, you know, somebody's drowning in the pool, then you know, how is how would she know that? So but she keeps on hearing the guy's voice in her head. And so she was like, uh, I'm going to get a Stella from swimming. And so she rushes off to the pool saying she's going to practice swimming in it. Uh, and he, she just goes uh screaming down the down the hallway ends up arriving in the pool and she very awkwardly goes the pool looks so fun uh heads over to where the boy is drowning rushes over dives into the pool and tries to swim after him but she is you know a six seven year old kid not gonna work out too well she manages to reach down reach down towards him but she's like i can't i can't i can't get him but fortunately lloyd caught up to her and he grabs her and he grabs the kid and hauls them both up out of the water, gets them onto onto the deck safely. And uh, they've they've saved the boy's life. Uh, and he, you know, makes a note of like, you know, it, I, I, you know, when children drown, they barely make any noise. So even adults often fail to do anything. So just be careful with them. And everyone's like, we're lucky you saw him on you. And he's like, I saw the air bubbles. So it covers that. And everyone's like, you're a hero. And Anya earns a Stella from this because she saved a boy's life. So there you go. And everyone congratulates her. We see that uh, actually at the ceremony, the boy and his parents showed up and he waves over to her and and she waves back. Uh, Yor gives her a big hug and congratulates her. Uh, Don't don't hug her too strong. Powerfully. You are a hit man, obviously. Um, And Lloyd thinks to himself, you know, it's strange. I can't help but think of the time I foiled that terrorist attack. I feel that same pride today. He smiles down at Anya. And Anya realizes that she can actually use her ability to read minds to help people. And she feels really happy because everyone's proud of her. And also she has discovered this about herself. And uh, that's the end of the chapter. Uh, there's a last little joke that, uh, you know, they're going to make her something special to celebrate. And I was like, uh, I'd like Papa to cook instead of mom because yours no good at cooking. So this is a very sweet chapter. Uh, there were, you know, some funny bits, but, uh, also good for Anya. It was really nice. Absolutely. Now let's do Boruto, Chris. Uh, so all of the uh, kids have gone over to the wherever it is in the desert where Naruto is being held captive. We see we do have a little bit of catch up on the other end where they left from because Shigemaru has gotten word about Sasuke because he's like, well, we need Sasuke to use his space time jutsu in order to go after them. And they're like, we found Sasuke. Great. He's been horribly injured. How? So that's not going to help. We found so Sasuke. We co- well, that's good. He is just in fucking shattered pieces like that's bad but he'll get better that's good but the kids are off in some unknown like dimension where we don't know where they are they might be dead by the time he wakes up that's bad that's bad (laughs) stop giving me alternating good man news (laughs) so 
we go over to where Boruto and Serata and uh, Kawaki and Nitsuki are. And uh, they come across where the freaking bowl prison thing that Naruto is stuck in is and where the big guy is guarding it. And they're like, oh, this is Kawaki's like, oh, this is bad because this guy is guarding it. They fight because, of course, they do. Um, he tells them that uh, the only way to get Naruto out of it is using Jigen's jutsu. None of them are going to be able to break it open without potentially harming Naruto. Uh, he fights by using this strange poisonous black mist. That's about all you need to know, really. Um, they do a bunch of attacks on him, but no more they stick around him. Even when they are getting some hits on him, he regenerates really, really quickly. So the, so Kawaki and Naruto get the really, uh, not Naruto, Kawaki and Boruto get the really bright idea of like, let's just hit him really hard so he can't recover. Uh, but his mist is like poisoning them and deteriorating them too quickly for them to be able to do that. Mystic, manages to do some clever stuff with like lightning jutsu and using his snake arms and stuff. But I like how he uses his snake arms and grabs the guy and the guy's just like, all right, and just uses the arms to suplex Mitsuki. <laughs> Good job. Um, and eventually Serata breaks things up by throwing a rock at the guy and be like, let's go and just grabs everyone and makes a tactical retreat. Boruto and everyone are upset that they're abandoning Naruto. And she's like, OK, look. We can't just like charge in at this guy and beat him. We've actually got to come up with a proper strategy and take him down. And we've got to utilize the resources we have and actually work together instead of us charging in one at a time like idiots. And that's basically the chapter. She straps her headband on. It's time to get serious. We're it's the powered up cell seven along with along with Kawaki. So that's about it. Uh, setting up that this guy is strong and they need to, or they're going to need to work really hard in order to beat him. That's really what the point of the chapter is. Super good chapter. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Makes uh, the villain actually look competent when you see he has different levels of tactics that he's incorporating here. And uh, we still see the heroes do some, but obviously by the end of it, you're like, oh yeah, you have to be fucking ninjas in the world of Naruto. You actually have to work together to beat like strong opponents like this. So mm -hmm. looking forward to it. Mission Yozakura Family. Uh, this is getting back into the character focus kind of chapters. This one is focusing on the brother who disguises himself. And we learn a lot about uh, his character in this. He takes uh, Tayo along on a mission where they're both in disguise and they're infiltrating a crime family. Uh, but it turns out that... Um, their cover is blown eventually because the uh, the boss of this group is aware that the person that Kengo, the brother, is disguising himself as because he's disguised as this woman who was like the boss's lover. And they were under the impression that uh, uh, she was like away. But it turns out she's dead. Uh, and they know this because the boss killed her, supposedly. So... Uh, Kengo is off on his own. Well, meanwhile, Tayo is in disguise as like her bodyguard being made to uh, sing karaoke with every with everybody because he's a very popular guy within the the, uh, the group. And Kengo's cover is blown. Uh, the guy's like, I know because I shot her. But Kengo knows that this is actually a lie as well because the woman actually killed herself. Uh, she was basically uh, sent by the government as an undercover agent, but she ended up actually, you know, falling in love with the guy and um, getting along with everybody. So she basically took her own life instead of uh, 
betraying them. So um, Kengo reveals all this to the guy and his impression is so spot on that the guy is actually appreciative of what he has done because it allowed her to basically speak with the woman he loved one last time. They end up uh, bringing the group down. Uh, a bunch of people get uh, arrested as a result. Uh, and the main thing that happens uh, from everything is that uh, Kengo uh, basically tell, says, like, my the thing that I that I uh, do is I don't work for money. I don't work for, you know, just or anything like that. I just take on the missions that, you know, I think will be fun. But he left this, you know, gift for this guy, did this guy a favor. And that was why he was successful in the mission. So maybe there's a little bit more to it than that. So he does what he th- what he's interested in. It's one of those kind of characters. Uh, the chapter ends on a joke that uh, before Kingo had used his disguise ability to disguise himself as Mutsumi and use that to uh, mess with Kyoichiro by being really, really mean to him on this guy's. So Kyoichiro was like, you know, you're not like her at all, but it was clearly having an effect on him. So Tayo tries to do the same thing and it doesn't work. So he's Kyoichiro's threatening to kill him. That's the joke that it ends on. It was an interesting chapter, um, but that's about all I have to say about it. I'm not really sure how I feel about this. So. I, I hated this chapter. I really, okay. I just, I get annoyed when a story tries to fuck with you in a way where you're like, <laughs> there were multiple twists in a very this, short period. Of time, I was like, so. did Vince Russo write this chapter? Cause you keep swerving. And Danny's the nuttest one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and then it's like, my dude, you made this all up. Like every beat of this fucking plot has been the last three chapters, like three pages. It's not like there's a story to be invested in here. And she calls him daddy. It's like, oh, all right, man. I don't know. This this one felt like it was deliberately just trying to piss me as a reader off. Where it's just like, oh, you thought you know how this story was going, but it's completely different. I was like. We just fucking walked into this. I'm, this wasn't like a seven fucking week adventure where you got me at the end of it, my dude. I feel as though this idea for a story could have actually been much more satisfying if it had been a proper like miniature story arc, the like the stuff that we got with Hanawa as the villain. Um, but this was instead just like, this is Kengo's character. Get used to it. Or if it so. didn't have like the moment where he catches her looking at the computer, but no, she's just looking at family photos and he's like, but that's where I killed you. But actually it's, she didn't get killed by him. She killed herself and she's a spy. You're like all these levels of like drama and twists that they incorporate on each other. Just get the point across that like Kengo fucking does work that he's interested in regard. Like he's an altruistic person. He does what's interesting to him. Like that was the point you needed to get across. And it's like four straight pages of twists and turns. It doesn't mean anything. Cause we're never going to see this character again. Possibly like Rebecca, Nick, he's never going to be an important character. He just shows up <laughs> eventually. And he's got like a sign pointing to him. Crap. <laughs> Samurai 8. Now, before we start, Nick, I need to check something. Did I forget in the end of last week, fucking uh, Daruma and Ben shot up into space for a giant samurai duel? That took me by surprise, too. So maybe it was something that just kind of like was established in a small panel and we weren't paying attention to it. I don't know. I Because I definitely did not recall that happening. I was like, why are they just like hanging out, you know, talking with uh, with this guy over what just happened? Like, did Ben get defeated? 
No, no, he's up in space with Darvish. <laughs> They're having a big space duel, and I was like, I don't remember that happening. I'm sure that it probably did happen. We just overlooked it. So, um, they're having this conversation about this, and they're like, why did you, you know, work with that guy? And he's like, he used to be a subordinate of my father's, and after my father died, he became my guardian, my teacher. Well, that guy's your samurai master? No, not a samurai teacher, a money-making teacher. Hey, Hashimaru, what is that cat to you? Well, he's my samurai master. He's, you know, trying to make me a proper samurai. And anyway, the long, long speech about how I do appreciate Dharma, despite the fact we don't always get along. And then <laughs> it's like, well, the cat's been keeping a keen eye on me the whole time. He didn't sleep at all. And let me warn you, Ben's very powerful. And they shoot up into the sky. And, oh, Ben is very powerful. See, he doesn't have a very powerful soul. So what he's done is he has stolen a bunch of things from people. He has stolen their key holders and he is like really, really weirdly attached them onto his own body, which I guess you can also do. Why not? It's just how mechanics work in this series. Yeah, you just slap it on there. Yeah, it's my arm now. So Dharma and Dharma's like, ah, you, you, the truth is that you are a coward and a weakling. Just as I thought. Uh, well, but Ben's like, well, you used your apprentice to come here and win a money prize, didn't you? How are you any different from me? And Dharma's like, well, I guess you're kind of half correct, which is shameful for me. But my connection to the boy is not through some inorganic cable. Troublesome as it may be, it is a connection invisible to the eye. Okay. So <laughs> the planet behind him opens up because that's no moon. <laughs> It's a really big key holder and he like docks with it and it's really huge. And there's like even a little helpful diagram that says like this spot is Dharma and it's he's really small in comparison and they keep fighting and Dharma's body gets cut in half and he's his his HUD voiceover thing goes accumulated damage 40 percent in one minute will enter sleep mode and, and they're like, ah. It's, he's going to die now. He's he, he, he's going to fall asleep. Uh, so Dharma's like, hey, you know, Ben, Kotsuka's down there. And Ben's like, anyone who cannot strike down his companions only binds himself. It means you are weak. And Dharma has a flashback to his master saying, you are too strong. That is why the Ususama style was so persistent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're just, like, <laughs> just like saying some of this stuff out loud. You're like, and that, it's look, not- it's because of the Usasama style that we've locked you inside your cat body, you samurai ninja robot. <laughs> they stole your evil biter, caused your disciple to betray you, and led to the prince death of Princess Baku. They set a trap for you and locked you in that cat body. Well, when you say it all at once like that, sounds ridiculous. Oh, now I get it. It's not just that all of this stuff is weird. It is just the blunt, I am explaining what you already know way of expositing this. 
So his master says, yes, you owe me because Dharma is obviously very upset about all of this. He's like, you are cursing and your emotions are raging. You have reverted to when we first met and a samurai must be composed. A Jedi must not give in to anger or fear. And Dharma's like, well, after all this happened, I can't possibly be calmed. Well, I'm disappointed in you. It is though you are howling about your own weakness. If a samurai's calling were easy to carry out, there would be no need for it to be a calling at all. The initiation process is complete. Perhaps it is also time for you to gain the ultimate secret, the mind's eye. See, we need to explain another samurai power. I will give you a little piece of my samurai soul. When your body is damaged... Okay, I'm just going to read off. I've been reading this off, but it's very important that I read off exactly how this happens. Because she's explained this in the flashback as we see Dharma pulling out the little piece of the samurai soul in the present. And so the explanation continues. When your body is damaged with this soul, the real you will awaken. My code will be inserted into the body in which you are locked and cause it to be bugged for roughly 10 minutes. That wound will never heal. Also, it has the risk of side effects that will immobilize you for a long time. And Dharma drops his his bone handle. So this can only be used when you have a trustworthy disciple to help you. Even the overpowered lone wolf is not perfect. Find yourself a new student and this time make your lessons long and comprehensive. That is the trick to forming a stronger connection. And Hachimaru is flying back up into the atmosphere and he catches Dharma's bone handle and he throws it back to Dharma and Dharma inserts into his paw and he reverts to his human form he's like ah at last i feel like i just woke up so it's a good thing that we got that whole explanation of exactly how this power works right when dharma needed to use it i have to assume this would have been a super cool moment if the series had been able to naturally bring up that daruma's power is kind of an law like locked behind this gate where he requires somebody else's help to unlock it and that it was kind of this thing between him and Hachimaru that eventually Hachimaru is able to give it to him. And it's this big cool moment where he reveals his power and not just like the sensei, you drop this. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Not just like the tail end of this like fucking 18 page straight fucking exposition dump. I'm sick of having to give all of the reviews of Samurai chapters the caveat of, well, if it had played out normally, because it's not playing out normally. We, this is what we've got, and we've just got to like deal with it and accept it for the way it is, which is not good. No. So that's, yeah, it's rushed, and it's blunt, and it's weird, and it's awkward. Very much so. Speaking of rushed, guys, let's move on to We Never Learned. Question 136 from Slumber, They Awaken to a Pizza Bet. And I say it sounds like a great wake up. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Uh, and I say rush because we're going to go through this one super quick because we have very little time. And this chapter honestly doesn't actually have a whole lot to it. Uh, it's significant, but it's pretty simple. Uh, Firmino is on her way to school. She overhears some of our friends talking about the crushes they have and the different things that sort of happen when you have a crush on somebody. And she starts seeing Uega and realizes, oh, hey, all the things they said, I'm feeling too. She sees the other two girls asking Foriego for study help. She sees that. She starts to get a little jealous. She denies it. She's like, nope, I definitely don't. Uh, there's a whole thing about whether or not the other two girls are like, hey, you should pursue your thing. She's like, no, I absolutely won't. It was about pudding. Uh, she has a moment outside with Uega where they both kind of reminisce of the different thing, like the different situations they've gotten into. Uh, and eventually she comes to ask like, hey, that one night at the festival, why did you hold my hand? And he's like, well, it's because I used to dream about my dad and cry a lot, too. And 
I know how it feels, and, you know, I just wanted to make you feel better, if only for a tiny little bit. And he has sort of this moment, it's raining, and underneath all that, Firmino kind of whispers, I love you. And Uega's like, huh? What did you say? And she's like, oh, nope, don't worry about it. Let's go back inside. So they go back inside, but as they're walking, she realizes this entire time she's been dying it to herself, she actually loves him. She's finally admitted it to herself, and now she's kind of got to deal with these feelings. I like the sequence at the end of the chapter mm-hmm. where Firmino was thinking to herself, when did I actually start feeling this way? And she remembers some of the moments they spent together, and she's like, what is it back then? Was it back then that I started feeling this way? Uh, and she's actually, like, apologizing for the way that she has handled this and the way she's handling it now even. And she's walking behind Yuiga very deliberately so he can't see her crying because of how she feels and how she's been denying it. And also just the general situation she's in with their friends. So it's uh, it's a really big moment. And uh, it really is is nice to see her have this and see her take this step forward and actually, you know, admitting to herself that this is how she feels. So. Yeah. Don't take the abridging to be any comment on the actual quality. This was a very good chapter for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's a very significant one. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yes, I did as well. Dr. Stone, Z equals 130, devil's choice. Look at how fucking... People keep talking. If, the idea with like yoga was that like, oh, he's a he's thin, he's skinny. Look at how fucking ripped he is on this cover page. He's pretty jacked. He has muscles in places I did not know muscles were. <laughs> yeah. So everyone's really nervous because they absolutely need Hyoga's help in order to defeat Moe's, and they're not sure what he's going to do. However, uh, Ibarra has a revelation this moment because he, you know, spots... Uh, you know, that he spot, he sees Hyoga and he's like, Hyoga, that guy was a statue moments ago. And then he spots Ryusui and he's like, that guy with the hat, that's the guy whose arm I broke off before. And he realizes immediately that this group has the ability to revive petrified people. And so he just books it. He goes off like Sonic the Hedgehog zooming through people because he has to head back to where the old chief statue is being kept because he's like, I shattered it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't bring him back to life. I have to make sure that they don't take that trump card and use it against me. Uh, Magma tries to stop Ibarra as he rushes off, but Moe's just like back elbows him and knocks him away immediately. So Hyoga now has a demonstration of exactly how powerful Moe is. And Moe quickly realizes what the situation is, why he's been revived, and what the choice is that he has to make because he has the power to save the kingdom of science or destroy it and join Moe's. And uh, all then that squishing uh, rests purely with him. We also get clarification from the narrator saying that, hey, you know, Ibarra has got no, ch- doesn't have to worry about the, the statue being revived because too much of it is missing. But this cautiousness was the right move for him because, of course, the statue poses a threat even if it can't be revived properly as it has been fully assembled now to the way it was before he completely broke it. Uh Back with the group uh, with uh, Senku and Hyoga and everybody like that. Gen is panicking because he's like, I've got to find a way to convince Hyoga to fight Moe's. Maybe if I just think, make Moe's think that he's going to be our ally and force him to attack first, then we can do it. And so he's like, 
Nikki, pretend to be in love with yoga. It's just like the first idea I think that comes to his head. And she's like, um, well, I mean, I guess I could do that. But she's really super awkward about it because she's so pure at heart that she can't really bring herself to do it easily. I love all the expressions that uh, Nikki pulls in these uh, few pages that highlight her. Uh, but Hyoga sees that Gin is trying to pull something and he already hates Gin anyway. So he just grabs him by the cloak and is like, shut the fuck up. Don't do anything. Um, but there's a lot of going back and forth that also goes on between Hyoga and Nikki in this chapter. I don't know if it's ever actually been if it was actually established that there was some sort of uh established like companionship or friendship or understanding between them at all. I don't think that that was actually a part of either of their characters because there's a lot of focus on Nikki in this chapter and uh, the way that Hyoga is uh, looking at her and viewing her. Cause the big thing that he does is, you know, he, he brings up, you know, his plan that he did was, they was going to enact with Tsukasa, you know, enact a culling on the human race, only revive the people that, uh, you know, were going to be, pass on superior genetics and was like oh yeah yeah great idea uh we're already doing that on this island you know because we only have the prettiest women chosen to be part of the harem hey you could have a harem too yoga would you like that and ryusui is like that's childish thinking every woman is a beauty so pure um and mo's does such a dick thing because he's like, oh, really? All beauties, huh? And he makes like a weird expression while he's looking at Nikki. And I'm like, how is Nikki supposed to be ugly? <laughs> I know she's got kind of big lips and she's tall, but she's got like a supermodel's body, dude. <laughs> anyway. So Hyoga clarifies, like, so what you're saying is the oh, the men and women you find worthy are just the best looking ones. And Moses is just like, well, yeah, the women, sure. And that's all. So Hyoga's like, all right, I've been trying to decide who to decide with, but now it's settled. And uh, at that moment, he, as Ibarra is making his way across the ship, uh, fortunately, Kirisame has arrived. And he's like, hey, you know, use the petrification, envelop the entire island. And after that, we'll... And he says something that we don't get to hear, but Kirisami reacts in shock when he when he says it. So his way, of course, of dealing with everyone, uh, you know, going after the statue is, oh, we'll just stonify everyone over there. And I'll take care of it. Not a bad plan. Yeah. It's a really great way of dealing with any issue that could occur. Hyoga rushes with his spear towards Senku and everyone's like, oh, no. And Senku just kind of moves slightly to the left. And uh, the spear clashes with uh, with Moses' axe, and they immediately engage as Senku starts to move everyone out of the way so that they can fight. Uh, and Hyoga takes off his mask and is like, the truth is they've done well. They're my allies, after all, as they continue fighting. So we don't really get an explanation for why he has d- chosen this path, Um there was some sort of implication that he didn't like Moses reasoning on things, but I imagine that there's a lot of stuff that we're going to get clarification on when we get the next chapter, which unfortunately we have to wait a couple of weeks for because uh, Dr. Stone is off this coming week. I think the implication is meant to be that Mose doesn't seem to value women as anything other than just their looks. And Hugo does mm. seem to. So, cause he, when he sees like Nikki, he mentions like, Hey, she 
was ready to jump in at your weird, stupid scenario. Like, so that's she's someone who's mm-hmm. capable. So I think that's the implication is that he's like, okay, this guy doesn't seem to value other people, like especially women, except for anything other than looks. I think this, if that is how it, like what we're meant to take from this, I think this could have been executed a little bit better because, I mean, even saying it, I was like, was Nikki showing a lot of competence when the first moment to improv, she was like, no, and basically so it's sort of an odd moment there well she did she didn't really get a chance to act she was like she her exact words were i'll say it if i have to but oh i really don't want to (laughs) but and and yoga as well was just like just shut up and he's like look i'm not gonna kill you but shut up because he's like i value your competence yeah so and I guess that could be it. And I don't think that things are going to just be left as they are. If that is the reason I feel as though we're going to get like a much more dramatic, like, you know, this is why, how I value people kind of thing. And that comes into conflict with Moses way of looking at things. Yeah. So we're going to get a lot more. This is an all right chapter, but in order to, I think get the f- a full appreciation for it, we need to have the thing that it leads into, uh, and have the, two chapters working together so chainsaw man is still after denji so um he wakes up denji wakes up in this chapter which is fortunate because as they try and drive away she just lands on the fucking roof of the car uh and just There is a, a moment where I forget this guy's name. It's the plague doctor yeah. guy that we got introduced to along with, you know, the, the angel devil and the shark devil and stuff like that. He lands a huge axe kick on her, which crunches the pavement under her feet and forces her a little bit into it. But otherwise, she's unharmed. And she's like, oh, no, I kicked you at full strength. And Reese is like, yeah, it was pretty good. Let's fight now. And he's like, no. <laughs> Maybe the greatest moment this week is he's like, Run! She's too strong. The big hero reinforcement shows up, gets a big attack in, then he's like, Oh shit, she's not dead. Let's get out of here. And the the heroic reinforcements just leave. She's too strong. We're leaving. And I love that he even like, because he doesn't just run away. He runs away and then pokes his head around the door as he's going to duck behind it. He's like, don't mind me. I'll just show myself. It's like a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. Like, he's just like, all right, don't mind me. I'll just be heading out. Woo! And he like disappears in the cloud of dust. Kobeni is there. She was apparently going to help. But now the bomb devils turned all of her attention on her. And she's like, Uh, but of course, Reese had established before, she doesn't really want to kill people if she can avoid it. And so Kabeni is just cowering away from her, so she doesn't bother killing her. So she just like is left on her hands and knees going, Aah! as Reese just heads off and chases after Denji. It's so, so fucking funny that they were like, who's going to help the heroes in this moment? The violence devil shows up immediately books it and then the other character who we know is crazy powerful like it was revealed to us that she's got a crazy strong talenter is just sitting there begging for her worthless life and the bomb devil's like all right i'm out of here and i hope we don't cut back to them like that's just the end of that moment we don't see them until they show up in the next story arc or whatever it's fucking brilliant 
Reese ends up uh, on a truck that is right behind the car that Denji and the others are driving in when he wakes up. There's a weird moment where Hayasaka like is messing with the police radio and he's like, what's going on? The radio is busted. And it starts going. Turn off that damn Skrillex there, angel devil. Like, it's not me. Hayasaka's like, we can't get for Denji. But all of a sudden. Oh, it turns out it's the. That's the. Because apparently chainsaws go. Well, this is a different sound effect. Never mind. Yeah, this is a different sound effect. So I don't know why the radio was just going wub, 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 wub before. Anyhow, he cuts through the roof uh, and comes out and uh, he's going to att- attack Reese. And and of course, Isaac is like, you don't have enough fucking blood to do that. And Denji says, well, when I was in so much pain, I thought I'd die in the back of my confused brain. I thought about things real hard and I realized something. Everyone I meet tries to murder me. <laughs> he's not wrong. It has happened with every single woman at least once. And he's like, well, because everyone wants my fucking chainsaw heart. What about my heart? What about Denji? What about Denji? What about Raven? <laughs> I fucking, I love that line. Everyone's after my chainsaw heart. But what about Denji's heart? <laughs> <laughs> It's such like, and he has a point, but it is just such a funny way of him having to stay. He's like, what about Denji's heart? And he's a fucking chainsaw monster. It's such a whiny teenager thing to say, too. (laughs) And so Reese is like, I mean, I do want that, too. I did. I do like you, Denji. I wasn't lying about that. And Denji's like, wait, for real? And I was like, she's the enemy. Don't listen to her. He's like, oh, all right. That was a cool one. Oh, you almost got me. I'm wise to you now. <laughs> so Denji's like, oh, yeah, well, I, I don't know why you want to kill me. But no, I, I'm, I've pledged myself to Makima. And Reese is like, oh, you're that witch's pet. Well, then if, even if you had run away with me, it would have been pointless. Oh, well. And Denji's like, yeah, well, should have never kissed you either. <laughs> Dork. So they he jumps off of the car and onto the truck that Reese is on. And Reese is like, come here, Denji. I'll teach you how we do battle. And uh, that's the end of the chapter. Fun chapter. I've really enjoyed all the stuff with Reese since she, since she first showed up. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Super cool chapter. All right, let's talk about the seven deadly sins, chapter three thirty-three: arrogance, overeating, and scars. So, it's actually happening now. Uh, the seven deadly sins were victorious. Uh, what's up? Sad chapter. Yeah, uh, you got to actually deal with some real feelings, then, because all the characters are kind of looking forward, and then you just hear. Escanor say, well, you guys better go. Everyone's waiting. All the characters don't want to turn back. They don't want to face the truth because they're saying, hey, don't say it's just us. You're coming too. You know, you can't just stay there say forever. It so Leave stuff. memories alone. Uh, eventually, I look back and yeah, we see that Escanor is sort of breaking apart. He, he really has used too much energy. It's the end of the road for him. And he says, hey, I have no regrets. So 
thank you everybody for coming into my life. And he shares a little moment with everybody. He's like, Hey, Gouther, I, I enjoyed our talks, you know, Diana King. I'm sorry. I won't be able to make the, the, the wedding, but I wish you both all the happiness in the world. May male. Thanks for taking care of us until the very end. Uh, you, you know, it has these sweet moments. And eventually he's like, and Merlin, I've always loved you. And I know it's, it's not only because you remind me so much of Rova, uh, Rosa. It's because you never treated me different than anyone else. She's like, Hey, you know what? You're giving me too much credit. How do you know I didn't just see you as an interesting specimen to study or something like that? And his conversation said, and he's like, even if that's all it was, I'm still happy. As long as it meant Aww. I got to take up even a little corner of your heart. And that's when that's when you're like, oh, <laughs> little bit. He's going to die. He really is. You, you can see <laughs> usually the stone-faced, emotionless Merlin. She kind of uh, grips her own sleeve in anger. You can see she's having real reactions. So she's like, you know what? It's too late for anything now. We can't turn back the clock. And you know what? I wish you had found me sooner. You know, 3,000 years sooner even. And uh, Escanor says, hey, no matter what, I'm on your side. No matter what you decide to do or what kind of crimes you commit. And Merlin turns and she's like, wait a minute, you know? And he says, no, it's just a hunch. After all, since the day we've met, you've always had the saddest eyes. And uh, his time is up now as his body is now actually breaking apart. And he says, take care, everyone. And this could be dangerous, so keep your distance. But uh, Melodius is like, hey, I'm going to see you off. And all the, all the sins are going to stay around. But then Merlis, Merlin walks straight forward towards him and gives him a big kiss as he's literally burning away and fading away. And she pulls away and we can see that like the bottom part of her jaw, like every part of her that was actually touching contact with Escanor is now burned and seared. And she says, I wasn't able to return your feelings. The least I could do was burn into my flesh proof that you existed. Proof of the only man to ever love me. And uh, there's a big little sort of like prayer said at the very end as Escanor. It's a it's a, it's a poem kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, his poetry that we remember he uh, apparently did. And he turns to ash and fades away into the sky as uh, I assume Melodius, but maybe it's Merlin says, sleep well, Escanor. Really good chapter. Uh, it's it's kind of an, um, a sudden turn because this was, of course, established when he showed up in order to fight with the Demon King. But, you know, as we were saying over the past few weeks, it felt like this big victory lap for everyone. It's like there is like, oh, there's no way that they're going to lose this. They're going to kick this guy's ass and happily ever after. It's like, well, there is still, you know, a bitter note to it uh, that the, they, they did not pull back on the idea that Escanar was going to give the last of his life in order to help his friends when they needed him at the end. And, uh, he did that. And, uh, it was, it was really nice to see this given like a proper, like, Hey, let's take some time and give the weight that this deserves. Yeah. And, uh, with the member of the seven deadly sins now dead, um, it seems like we are actually going to wind down on this series now. Yeah. Unless it's going to be like, and now, uh, taking his place at last, as he has long deserved in the Seven Deadly Sins. Hawk! <laughs> this now the Sin of Pride! It's one of the more random... Gilda! I'm like, I don't... Did, which one was she? Um, I really enjoyed this chapter. I, I always enjoy, like, earnest sentiment, and I think this, this chapter had it in spades. 
you know, just seeing Escanor kind of give his goodbyes to everybody, uh, the moment of him kind of saying, like, you know, I love you, and her being like, ah, I wish you had said this sooner, the kind of tease that maybe Merlin's planning to do something in the future, too, as well, is a nice little touch, mm. but obviously, like, the big kiss, and then even as she says, like, hey, I didn't exact, like, I don't return the same feelings to you, but I respect your feelings, and... I'm going they to mean something. It means something to me that you feel that way for me. And I'm, so. I'm literally going to scar myself, presumably forever, as as proof of what you were to me. So it's it's a very sweet sentiment. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the Promised Neverland, Chapter 158. The reason I was born. You see, we are both special, but I have never wanted to be arrogant enough to proclaim myself special. But I guess I am, maybe. That's about it. That's the difference between between Mujica and Lagravalima. Is that Lagravalima is like, I am super special, and and Mujica is like, I mean, it's really arrogant to do that. And I've always wondered if I was special, but I didn't want to say it out loud. Also, you're starving, desperately hungry, and she's like, What are you talking about? Mujika says, you are starving. No matter how much you eat, obtain, or ascend, you are not satisfied. Poor thing, I feel sorry for you. What did you truly want? What are you afraid of? If you were able to feel pleased, you could have had a different future, but not realizing that led to your destruction. And Lagravina was like, greed is good, uh, because the glass are to obtain more and more power, and I've been different from the moment I was born. There's nothing, I don't fear anything. Uh, you amuse me. And Mujika's like, Oh my, Shinderu. <laughs> and she even explodes when she says that. She literally does, basically. <laughs> and so, you know, Sonju is standing in front of Mujika to defend her, but it's not necessary. As Lagravilima lunges forward, her body just explodes, and the, the heads that had formed her cocoon earlier, they're back again, and her body is descending into a bunch of faces that are all crying out in different voices. And Mujika says, you have overeaten, and your cells have already reached their limit. The second core doesn't have special powers after all. You ingested poison and large quantities of meat and cells all at once, and it was too much for your dying body that it lost its first core. The fact that you were able to retrieve what you ate as they were showed that you weren't able to digest them. And so all the people that they, she has eaten are now manifesting and kind of pulling her apart as she does so. And Lagravilium is actually crying out in pain as also she is feeling all of their memories all at once. It's kind of creepy and terrifying, but all right. I, I need to address one thing that almost, that kind of pulled me out of the moment, though. On page 14, we see, like, the giant pillar of, like, faces. Up near the top right, it looks like a little dog in, like, a captain's hat. <laughs> captain Crush hat, and it's smiling. I was like, I feel like this dude's really taking away from the scene. Like, everything else is, like, this screaming monster, and then it's, like, this one clown dog. I was like, you gotta set that. You gotta set that as a profile pic. I was like, it must be like a like a like a like a can, like an Easter egg to something, because I can't imagine why else it would be. Like this has to be like when the the straw unless it's hat just like up. a happy accident or something like that. Because like the mouth is like supposed to be a line around a de a demon mask's eye hole. Uh -huh. 
But yeah, and now that when I'm looking at it, I definitely see what you get. It's like a dog that's got a really long chin. Yeah, and so. it's got it looks like the thing above it is like a captain's hat. It's like a he's hat. like he's a fucking sailor dog. <laughs> All right. Get a uh, flashback into Mujika's past where uh, an, an adult demon was like, listen, Mujika, you'll always be you. We demons can become anything, but we are also nothing. We are scared of hunger and of degeneration. For as long as we have lived, we sometimes fail to understand. To what point are we ourselves? Who are we? What do we want to become? And so Mujika is like, I thought about the reason I was born, the significance of my life, and I finally understood after meeting Emma. In the past, we made a promise. We separate our world from the humans, and I was born to change our species, and now is the time for our world to change. This feels very sudden, this whole, like, demons have no identity thing. I don't think this was established, like, at all at any point. Obviously, the physical, in terms of, like, how their bodies work and stuff, but I feel like a lot of the demons we've actually gotten to know have very firm personal identities and personalities. Like, Luvis, I can tell you what that guy's all about. Uh, the guy, you know, Gielan, I can could, I could tell you what he's all about. The guy who betrayed them, Daza, I can tell you what he's all about. But, so this whole thing, like, oh, we will never know who we truly are things. Maybe if that was established earlier, that would have been a much bigger thing. There's, it seems to come out. There's or. a larger philosophical kind of question that is posed when you're like, demons biologically take on properties of what they eat and change in that way and to a certain extent like we know that if they don't eat something that has intelligence then they sort of degenerate into monsters baseless kind of like thoughtless creatures it's never really shown to be much more nuanced than that like i know better like smarter people get to like better food kind of thing but it's never been like it's not like I zombie, you know, where they're like, oh, I ate a stripper the other night. Now I'm now I have stripper memories and I have stripper personality or anything like that. Like it's to a certain extent something that doesn't feel nuanced enough that ha- that like this conversation would have that much poignancy to it. Yeah. Like, I mean, because the demons have lived for thousands of years and we know that, you know, for example, uh, Luvis was doing his whole hunting thing for like hundreds, if not thousands of years. And that never changed. So it doesn't seem as though he really took on a lot of the people that he was eating. Maybe it's something that only happens when you do all of it at once. But she's manifesting people that she ate a long time ago. Yeah. I, I, including, by the way, I have to bring this up. Sorry, before you get we get to your point, because we get this like thing where we highlight some of the people that are now manifesting at this point. So, you know, Keelan's there. Doz is there. The Bayon that she just ate is there. Crone is there as established in the previous chapter. And between all of them declaring their names, we get this young girl who says, I'm Michelle. And I'm like, God, who the fuck is Michelle? Michelle, Nick. So I looked her up, Chris. <laughs> She's the most important and character it turns in the out, Turns out Michelle was a character that we have seen cameos of, but not named in the manga, who was the subject of one of the spinoff novels. Hooray! So here she is. She makes an appearance and she's named this time. Good for her. Good stuff, man. I'm very happy for her. What a poignant moment. Now I feel like I get the whole character, Michelle, in one big wrap up. Uh, Lagravalima is starts to just like descend into despair and she goes, who am I? And Mujiga says, the limes you consumed will devour you. 
goodbye, your majesty, the queen, Lager of the Lima, as her body starts to basically just disintegrate and dissolve uh, apart. So we beat the queen, guys. Mm-hmm. Hooray. Um, I guess that uh, they're going to go and uh, change the de- demons now, too. Okay. Hopefully. This is very odd. Um, it was a way of dealing with it mm-hmm. that I do appreciate, but... I think that it would have been I think it could have been executed a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it it has sort of the end you'd expect these like, I guess, Lou of Sonju stabbing her in the heart and killing her. This was sort of like the next solution. Sort of like when you have a Disney movie, you're like, well, the hero can't kill the villain, but we could just have the hunter slashing of vines that they killed themselves or the evil witch trips out a window and falls like we dealt with it the other way that kind of absolves the heroes from having to do anything necessary or, or or controversial or anything like that. It's sort of like she was killed by her own vice and in a series that tries to be a little bit more, I don't want to say thinking, but tries to go a little bit higher with its themes. It is something where you're like, okay, I guess. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's fine. Like I, I like it. I, I like the execution of a lot of it. Clown dog aside, it does have like a sort of visual quality to it that's nice. Yeah. All right. All right, Nick. Let's talk about Black Clover, page 229, the beginning of Hope and Despair. I can't read it. I don't have my glasses on that text. It's brown on brown. It's really not great text on text. Uh, we're, We're through our time skip. So we're going to see all of our new characters and their cool new designs. And we start. With the Spade Kingdom's evil walking lab spider thing. It's very... It, it looks like it's walking, but I'm not sure. If it is walking, actually. Is. I thought it might be floating, but, the, you know, it is on the ground. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a walking little spider tank thing. And just It's to- got to be such... Something that huge to be walking around must be incredibly uncomfortable to ride around. In. Oh, it has to be just hell. Uh, this this almost feels like Tabata was like, you know, I think not everybody appreciated how brilliant the Mortal Engines <laughs> movie was. I think cities that are small tanks is a, is a fascinating idea to explore. And uh, just to establish the Spade Kingdom is as evil of a kingdom as possible. They are doing the most evil thing, but like, we power cities with people! Uh, specifically, <laughs> we, we drain them of all of their magic! And, uh, we we see Coral Pachika is using Undine's power to basically see what's happening. This is so lame. We get an explanation <laughs> like, okay, the Spade Kingdom's basically already taken over the Diamond Kingdom. Uh, they, they're they're coming in towards us. We have to kind of make our move. And they say, hey, you know, we've only been able to strengthen upper stage individuals who were beloved by natural mana, natural mana, and had a knack for handling techniques. Who would have thought the magicless boy would get so much stronger by sparring with us? And the fact that he's in our cage stage was a jolt as well. But what really startled me was his hard work, his willpower, and his tenacious strength. And uh, I guess it's not super clear, but I think Asta has a surfboard sword now that lets him fly through the air because that clearly is what he's standing on as he zooms off into the distance. Uh, we go inside the magic tank and they're like, this group of people are all done. Send the next group in. 
and a young woman who's holding a child's like, no, please, this girl's very young. She has almost no, she'll provide very little fuel for your tank. Don't bother. And they're like, no, we're very evil. So we will use the child and suggest we're going to sexually assault you at the same First time. First we will rape you. Then we will make you a magic battery. Very, very clear. Asta's sword then goes flying in through the window. And boom, he shows up and he says, yeah, Demon Slayer, and calls the sword to him. And Asta, he's six. I have new metal boots. (laughs) New metal boots and a couple extra abs on the side. (laughs) This six months was really productive. I finally started wearing different clothes. Uh, but none of my cl- but my shoulders are so huge now that no shirts will fit me. Yeah, Asta became a, a fucking unit was <laughs> what his training was to be. <laughs> they were like, oh, yeah. they were like, we got to make you a big chungus. <laughs> my dream of wrestling for the WWF came true, but now I can only wear underwear to the ring. <laughs> So uh, the evil guys are like, that robes from the Clover Kingdom. Uh, so much so that I was like, I guess Ladris maybe like went evil again and recruited people because they're all doing the same evil face thing that he did. And everyone's like, what's with this guy? What? He's an idiot. He's here all alone. And the big evil guy turns into a Chinese finger trap monster thing. And it's like, I'll kill you. Uh, no, no, no. I'll insta kill you yeah he's 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 got cool new that's spade kingdom lingo for you this is world building uh and asta swings his sword once and defeats everybody oh man the spade kingdom they're so strong (laughs) he beats everybody with one swing of his sword and he says i don't know how many of there you are but i'll be the one to insta kill you so all of you bring it on right now Uh, and then we cut away to the sister back at her little hamlet outside the the remains of the the demon and she says oh my it's starting to get cloudy oh hey there's an unconscious person here and that's the end of the chapter uh with the person well, saying, the, guy, well, the, yeah. the person saying master yudo this was dumb <laughs> somewhere just like so wait, what happened in these six months? It looks like Asta got a little bit more buff and he learned to fly on his sword. <laughs> like his sword's Mjolnir now. If he calls it out, it, it returns to his hand. But I guess he can also ride on it like a surfboard. <laughs> also, the Diamond Kingdom has basically been entirely conquered. So Yeah, well, hey, I bet the only ones who haven't been conquered are the real six diamond generals. Well, that would get past me. <laughs> oh, I hope Ladros is okay. <laughs> I took a brainwashed king with me into safety. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's like, look, it, it's just one of those things where Black Clover goes in kind of without any sort of subtlety. And I know this works for some people. I just have, I have to find it a little bit amusing that it's like the Spade Kingdom's preferred method of transportation is a tank that consumes people as its fuel source. And I'm like, it, what is this thing doing? Is, not- it, is it a prison or... <laughs> That is not an efficient means of transportation. <laughs> you kind of drain people's life force. It won't come back. They're like, oh, we just got to consume. We got to conquer kingdoms so we can take all the, the peasants and use them as a fuel source for our tanks so they, they can invade the next country so we can use them as a fuel source. Less efficient means of of using humans as fuel than the Matrix was. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
Let's finish things off with One Piece, chapter 962, Daimyo and Vassals. So, uh, we established who Orochi was in the past. Uh, we've got uh, everyone is there with the, at Yasuye's place. And uh, so, oh gosh, I forget, forgot his name. Uh, Odin. Duh. Uh, Odin says that uh, he's heard of an ogre living uh, in Kuri by the name of Ashura Doji. So he's going to uh, go out there and uh, and uh, and uh, see what he can do about that. Because you see, we like, you know, warns him like, yeah, uh, Kuri's bad. Like Lord Sukiyaki can't control it. And if a criminal escapes to Kuri, the authorities don't bother to go get him. If he does not have the strength to survive, only death awaits. But it is also and it is so lawless, it might as well be another country. And I was just like, sounds fun. <laughs> so, um, after he leaves, uh, a vassal of Yasue's uh, shows him like the room he was staying is just completely trashed. We should, you know, bill him for the repairs. And Yasue's like, no, I'll just consider this a natural disaster. <laughs> so, but they also say that uh, the money's gone, uh, the money that they had put in the safe. And Orochi comes up like, oh, yes, I witnessed the act of Lord Odin slip the money into his sleeve. And the same vassal who was like, oh, he wrecked the room. How dare he repair hospitality this way? But Yasuya is like, I feel like Odin wouldn't have bothered to be surreptitious about it. He would have just like been like, hey, I've got the money as he walked away. So he's like, are you sure about that, Orochi? And Orochi's like, yes, I'm not the villain. So Odin's party travels uh, from Hakamai. They go for, for Curry, of course, Kinemon, and uh, what's his name? Dan, Dan, whatever. Uh, sunglasses guy are following Odin as well. Um, Odin was keeping travel notes as they went, and we get kind of a montage of their adventures. So we see that uh, they met two urchin brothers who had been, uh, who were sons of the uh, Hanaya. Hanayanagi, sorry, dance master. So there's Kiku before Kiku, you know, and just acting as a woman. Uh, And then there is uh, Kiku's older brother, Izo. Izo and Kiku both joined uh, uh, Odin's group. And so I was like, well, Izo is not there in the present. So did they die or were they an established character? So I was like, let me look this up. Yes, Izo was an existing character. Why don't I remember them? Because they were one of the many people who served under Whitebeard and they only showed up for the Marineford arc. And I was like, I'm, I don't feel bad about not remembering them. Yeah, I, I had to stop for a while. I had to look up who Izo was at first. I was like, I know who Kikunoji is supposed to be, but I don't remember Izo. And then I looked it up. I was like, I vaguely remember you being there. You weren't even one of like the four interesting captains that kind of had their no. own look or anything like that. It was just you like, weren't the diamond guy or the Phoenix guy. So fuck you. You. Were, <laughs> you weren't even the dude with the giant curly mustache with the two swords or anything like that. Like you weren't even one of the interesting. I just remember like, Oh yeah, there was one scene with like a dude in kind of like Japanese attire with like a gun at one point. And I was like, Oh, I guess it's that guy. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, they meet they meet Kondro, they meet Raizo, uh, and then they come and then we see that, you know, Ashura Doji is, you know, commanding his men like, ah, Odin's in Kuri, huh? capture him and bring him to me. If I hate anyone, it's the high and mighty. Uh, so we see Odin's group is, you know, camping around a fire and they're like, hey, where'd Odin go? Uh, he went south to 
fertilize nature. <laughs> uh, but they're like, he, we haven't seen him since yesterday, though. So they realize that he is actually headed for Curry. And uh, Kinemon rushes to try and join with uh, with Odin. But when they arrive, the gate's been busted open. Odin has already been met with all of Ashura Doji's men who are there. And they're like, hey, what are you doing here? And they're all focusing on him. And so they're, so Odin's you know notes read, you're allowed in, but any who try to leave are killed. Those are the rules of this place. What a cramped life. This is no place for people to live. And Odin you know, just stares them all down and says, you know, tell your boss that a samurai is here. Don't leave. That happens to be my least favorite rule. So he engages them in battle. Uh, Kinemon and company go to try and find him. And they're like, oh, I see a battle cloud on the mountain. <laughs> Just one guy fighting everyone raises a battle cloud. And uh, when they arrive, Odin's like, oh, they even follow me here. Sorry, guys. I just finished everything. I've been up all night. He's just surrounded by unconscious people. And he's sitting on top of Ashura Doji's body. Uh, and so he says to all of them, hey, y'all still you know, love me? Then lend me your wisdom and strength. I've decided that these worthless hooligans need me as their king. And so all of the lawless ruffians of Curry were rounded up under Odin's strength, and he turned the hellish wasteland into a place worthy of being called home. And uh, so everyone responds to this news, and they're like, wow, what an accomplishment. And even the Shogun is like, wow. And he retracts the disownment of Odin and gives his son the title Daimyo of Curry. And so they're like, wow. And everyone's celebrating with him, all of the people who have joined with Odin on his journey together. Uh, and even and Ashura Doji is you know, acting kind of weird because he's like, this is the first time I've ever known peace. Thank you for this. Uh, and Odin's like, listen, I'm a daimyo now and a daimyo needs vassals, but I don't want to be assigned stuffy stuck of nobles. So I would rather have all of you. You should be my samurai. And everyone cries in happiness and, and celebrates. And then we get six years later, 33 years before the present day, the remnants of the legendary former rocks pirates began to gather new comrades, steadily expanding their claims in infamy. We cut to Curry Beach in Wano, as we see uh, the Kappa Sumo guy, whose name currently escapes me, Kawa as he's Kawamatsu. come across Kawamatsu. He has come across two strange humanoid figures that seem to have like hair and horns, possibly. Yeah, well, so. it's Cat Viper and Dogstorm. Oh, yes, their ears are different. Yeah. That makes sense. So so the flashback continues yep. next time. Well, we'll see the other members of, what do they call them? The something... The Crimson Scout. The something yeah. Nine or something like that, yeah. Zion I think, yeah. Yeah, this is an all right chapter. Yeah. But uh, not a whole lot to talk about, but uh, it was nice. I like it. It shows why some of these characters have so much loyalty to him, like why Ashura Doji has so much loyalty to Odin. It's like, oh... He turned a shithole place that you and everyone lived into a place that's actually livable and, like, is now considered a regular part of the country. And he did all of it kind of just he didn't do it to earn his name back or anything like that. He was kind of just like, shit, this place sucks. It should be better. Hey, let's let's make these people have a better life. It's it's nice. You know, he has his own edge to the way he does it. But it's it's pretty satisfying. Yes. Okay, guys, so that's going to do it for Week Among Recaps. So we're going to head into closing things out. Favorite series, MVP. Uh, my favorite series this week was Chainsaw Man. I thought it was a super fun chapter. 
I really enjoy just the two characters showing up, doing nothing, and then leaving. And I'm I'm excited for the actual end. Like it was like a cool fight setup, and I'm pretty excited to see what happens next. My favorite series this week was Seven Deadly Sins. I really liked the weight being given to Escanor's death. Uh, actually, I mean, like, I wasn't entirely surprised, but I was, you know, just like, oh wow, they're they're actually doing this, yeah. and uh, I love that it weighs so much on everyone. So yeah. I dug that a lot uh, in that respect. Merlin's going to be my character of the week. I, I was considering giving it to Escanor, but I really like Merlin, like, singeing her own face and everything like that to kind of express this sentiment to give Escanor some, like, real nice feelings before he heads off. I gave Escanor my character of the week quite a few times a couple months ago, so I, I'm, I'm definitely respecting him, but I wanted to give some respect to Merlin as well. There were a lot of standout character moments in manga this week. There was the stuff with Escanor and Merlin. There was the stuff with Vumino realizing her feelings. Uh, but I am giving mine to Anya uh, from Spy Family. And a lot of people uh, who uh, were voting on this, I know, chose Anya as well. But I think it feels like a really big thing for her. This is the first time that she, you know, She's it seems like she's actually had a bit of a breakthrough in terms of like, oh, I can actually, you know, do something instead of, you know, just kind of going going around and just like wanting to play a spy and stuff. It feels like she's actually gotten kind of inspired. And hey, she saved a kid from drowning. That's cool. So the audience picked Anya as their MVP and their chapter of the week was the promised Neverland. Hmm. All right. Uh that is going to do it, guys. Uh, the recommendation we're going to be working on next time. So I'm sure that some of you know, of course, that uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield dropped this week. So it's time to continue our Pokemon adventure by not continuing our Pokemon adventure. I looked into it. The Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver chapters are kind of weird and very, very, it's a very, very short part of it. And I don't know how to roll it into any of the stuff surrounding it. So we're going to be doing something different next time. We are going to be looking at a different Pokemon manga. What? We're going to be, yeah, we are going to be reading The Electric Tale of Pikachu. It's a short series that came out in like the late 90s. Uh, just a very short story. Uh, so that's something that we should, we can probably crank out relatively quickly. All right. That's what we're doing then. Yeah. Everyone seems so happy in the chat right now. <laughs> I don't understand why. Why is there something bad with it? Should I be like? It's an odd series, okay, and it's very different. So, hmm. okay, uh, let's wrap things up by saying um, thank you everyone for joining us for the live recording of Weekly Manga Recap. We do it here on Smashcast TV slash Rollity Twitch TV slash Rollity Wednesdays around seven thirty to eight Eastern Time. We uh, uh, follow us on Twitter at Demore Podcast at Rolotzi at Nick F Time for updates. Uh, you can also check us out on Weekly Manga Recap on YouTube and iTunes. Check us out on there. Leave a comment, leave a rating, subscribe, all that good stuff. Delves out in the algorithm, help us rise to the top of the hobby section. Thank you to everyone who contributes to the Patreon, who is part of the Discord server. You can go on there. You can also contribute to all the votes and everything for MVP, for favorite series, pick out recommendations for us, and all that good stuff. Uh, 
Special thanks to I'm, I'm doing this without my checklist and I'm very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Special thanks to, to Infamous Planet, to Steve Manor, Tyrocaris, to Winslowdale Cheddar, and Milo Jack Stillitz for the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, and to NinjaX3i who maintains all of the spreadsheet stuff and has uh, WMR Votes, the Twitter handle for the polls that are held for the audience each week. Indeed. That's it, yes. All right. Anything else, Nick, before we head off? No. All right. Guys, I need something to go out on, Nick. I'm blanking. Uh, give me some. Okay. What? Wait, no, I'm not doing this. No, I am no ending you right now. Okay. Uh, just got to come up with something off the top of my head. Yes. Um. You do it. You can't throw the impetus on me. This is why. Yeah. Um. This is you always. This is... I just look around the room, grab something like, all right, I'll, I'll talk guys, for 20 seconds about this plastic wrapper that I found. You guys ever next... think about doorknobs? It's kind of weird. They're not always knobs. Sometimes they're <laughs> handles. Goodbye, everybody. Keep that in your hat all next week. <laughs>